the book of Exodus. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 through 18, which tell the foundational story of how God rescued the enslaved Israelites by confronting and defeating Pharaoh, while offering a way of escape through the blood of the Passover lamb. God then delivered his people by bringing them through the waters of the sea and then into the wilderness, where, surprisingly, they grumbled and complained. Now, the second half of the book of Exodus opens as Moses leads Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God invites the nation of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship. And here we reach another key moment in the biblical storyline, because this is picking up and developing God's promise to Abraham. So remember, from the book of Genesis, God promised that through Abraham's family, somehow he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And here we find out more. God says that if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant, covenant. They will be so shaped by God's laws and teaching and justice that they will become a kingdom of priests, which means that they will become God's representatives and show all of the other nations what God is truly like. Now, the people of Israel eagerly accept the offer, and so God's presence appears right on the top of Mount Sinai in the form of cloud and lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up as their representative, and God opens with the basic terms of the covenant, the famous Ten Commandments. These are like the basic terms of the agreement, how the Israelites and God are going to relate to each other. And then after this come another collection of commands which fill out the first ten in more detail. There are laws about Israel's worship, about social justice, how they are to live together, all shaping Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the other nations. So Moses writes down all of these laws and he brings them down to the people who again eagerly agree to enter into this covenant with God. And once they do so, God takes the relationship forward another step. He tells Moses Moses that he wants his holy and divine and good presence to come and dwell right in the midst of Israel, which develops another aspect of God's covenant promises. So remember, after humanity's rebellion in the garden, it was access to God's presence that was lost. But now it's through the family of Abraham that God's presence is becoming once again accessible through this covenant relationship, and first with Israel, and then somehow one day to all nations. So what follows are seven chapters of detailed architectural blueprints about this sacred tent called the tabernacle. There's an outer courtyard with an altar, and then in the center there's a tent that has an outer room and then an inner room. And then inside the inner room, which is called the most holy space, is a golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And there's angelic creatures over the top of it. It's the hot spot of God's presence. Now there's lots of detail in these chapters, and it's important to know that every piece has some kind of symbolic value. All of the flowers, the angels, the gold and the jewels, it all echoes back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God and humans live together in intimacy. And so the tabernacle is like a portable Eden, so to speak. It's the place where God and Israel can live together in peace, at least in theory, because right here something goes really, really wrong. Israel breaks the covenant. As Moses is up on the mountain receiving the blueprints for the tabernacle, down below at the camp, the Israelites, they're losing patience. And so they ask Moses' brother Aaron to make for them a golden calf idol so they can worship it as the God who saved them out of slavery in Egypt. Now God's presence, it's right there on top of the mountain. They can see it. But here they are below, breaking the first two commands of the covenant they just agreed to. No other gods and no idols. 
Now, what follows is really important. God knows what's happening down below. And so he first invites Moses into his own anger and pain. And he tells Moses what he wants to do, just to wipe Israel out. But Moses intercedes by appealing to God's character. He says, first of all, destroying Israel would be going back on your covenant promises to Abraham. And then Moses appeals to God's reputation among the nations. What would they think if they see you destroying your own people? And so God accepts Moses' intercession and he relents. And while he does bring his judgment on those who instigated the idolatry, he forgives the nation as a whole and promises to renew his covenant. And it's right here at this point in the story that God, for the first time, describes his own character to Moses. He says, the Lord is merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, abounding in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, but he will not leave the wicked unpunished. So we have this tension. God is full of mercy, but also he must deal with evil if he claims to be good. And above all, God is faithful to his promises, even though it means, he knows, he's committing himself to a people who are utterly faithless. And so after renewing the covenant with Israel, God commissions Moses to go ahead and build the tabernacle. And once again, we get five long chapters describing in detail the construction of the tabernacle. And it all comes together in the final chapter where the tabernacle's finished. God's glorious divine presence comes and hovers over the tent and our hopes are high. And so Moses, he goes right up to enter into the tent and he can't. He actually can't go in And that's how the book ends. It's really surprising, but not really if you think about it. You can see now how much Israel's sin has damaged the relationship with God in more ways than we realized. So the book opened, remember, with Pharaoh's evil threatening Israel and threatening God's covenant promise. But now, as the book ends, Israel has become its own worst enemy. It's their sin that's threatening the future of the covenant. And so the question as the book closes is how is God going to reconcile this conflict between his holiness and his goodness and his presence with the sinful corruption of his own covenant people? The solution to that problem is what the next book is about, but for now, that's the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and today as we come to the conclusion of our study of Exodus, help us to to understand um, in a greater way what your covenant means to us and how we are to keep your covenant, especially as we now live in this New Testament time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so after all these weeks, we are coming to the conclusion of um, Exodus, and we're going to be doing those last five chapters, but not in in great detail. We're going to look over kind of just a schematic of of what is there. And, you know, hopefully you've been getting a lot out of Exodus, and and, um, next week we're jumping into a study of the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to the New Testament, so if you want to read ahead, feel free to jump into Luke chapter 1 for next week. And we're going to jump into um, Exodus 35. And before I do, there was a question that was asked last week um, by, by somebody. You know, we, we saw it also in the video that, you know, God had told, you know, Moses that he's not going to accompany them um, on their journey after they were to leave Mount Sinai. And, and so Moses prays. And what does God do? He changed his mind. 
He goes, okay, I'm, I'm, I changed my mind. I, you know, I just, I realized how faithful you are. I am going to, you know, to accompany you. Okay, my presence and my blessing will go with you. And so he changed his mind. And so the question that I um, had from somebody last week is, does God change? And the answer to that is, no, God does not change. Okay. He may change a decision about something, but what we see here is a power of prayer. The Bible says that, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, prayer is powerful. And we see that, you know, God listens to our prayers. And he answers in a way that's best for his kingdom. And there's a lot of things when it comes to God that are hard for us to understand, okay? Um, as far as, you know, predestination. You know, what is, God knows everything ahead of time, um, but what degree of control does he have on everything? There's a lot of things that are confusing for us, but the bottom line is God is in control. And God has a plan. And he has a covenant. And last week we, we talked about that too. In fact, the covenant is summarized in the Ten Commandments. And I challenge you to come up with the Ten Commandments. And how do we do? Um, so-so, you know. I was offering a gift even for someone that could say all ten. So I'm going to give you that opportunity again towards the end of my talk. I'm going to give you a heads up. But if the Ten Commandments are God's covenant to us, we probably should what? Know them. Okay, so Pastor Mike, you're excluded. You can't take the test. However, I was sharing last week that the, uh, the um, pastors were given a test for knowing the Ten Commandments, and 78% of pastors got them wrong, okay? And by the way, how, by, but, but it's, the good point was the Missouri Senate pastors, 80% of them got them right, okay? So they, they did better. Probably because from a very early age, what did we have growing up? Confirmation, okay? We got these things pounded into us, and that's important, and even the people in the Old Testament, um, they really focused on getting God's law down, and particularly those Ten Commandments. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But I want to jump into Exodus 35. And it says, verse 1, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days you shall, shall be done, but in the seventh day... You shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does not work on it shall be, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Again, the Sabbath is pounded. Have you noticed that lately in the Exodus? In fact, as we finish up, I want you to think about some themes. And one theme I'm seeing over and over again is God really making sure that we understand what a Sabbath rest is. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is a thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spice for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastplate. Now, he's asking for a contribution. Are they being forced to do it? It says everyone has what? A generous heart, okay? So it's not like it's commanded. He wants them to give from their heart. And even in this New Testament time that we live in now, we're not under any compulsion to give to God. 
And God gives us guidelines, but we should give because of a right what? Of heart to God. Verse 10. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle is ten, its coverings, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen. The table with its poles and all its utensils. And the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light. With its utensils and its lamps. And the oil for the light. And the altar of incense with its poles. And the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. And the screen for the door and the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its great grating of bronze. Its poles and its utensils. The basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screens for the gate of the court, the pegs for the tabernacle and the pegs for the court and their cords, and finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garment of the Aaron for Aaron the priests, and the garments for the sons, for his sons, and their service as priests. A lot of detail here, incredible detail. But I want to stop there for a second. You know, all these things are being asked of the people. You know, first, provide the contribution what's needed, and then what else? Provide the service also that's needed. Use your talents, use your skills, use your abilities. Then all the congregation, the people of Israel, departed from the presence of Moses, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. They brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone was possessed, who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens and goat's hair. And again, going through a bunch of the details. I'm going to stop there because this goes on in more detail. But they provide what is needed. And we're going to jump now to verse 30 of the same chapter. Chapter 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, and with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic design, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for settings, and in carving wood for the work in every skilled craft. And he was inspired, and he was, has inspired him to teach both him and Ahuliab, the son of Ahishelmach, for the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, and by weaver, by a weaver, and any sort of workman or skilled designer. And so basically what God is doing here is he is working through people. His Holy Spirit is working through the people back then as well. And it, there's leaders and then those leaders get other people involved. It goes right on down the line. And I see the same thing so often how God works in churches today. And I think back to um, a church I served in Utah for seven and a half years. 
And I've shared with you the story about the church in Rochester, New York, where, you know, I learned a lot about delegation there. And it was, it was by the School of Hard Knocks. I was getting burned out, and God provided a bunch of people to serve in various ways. And I went to this church in Salt Lake, and they were building a school from scratch. In seven years, we had five building projects, and we had one land acquisition in seven years. That's a lot of work. And I look back, and what I see is how God orchestrated everything. And we had a guy who was a contractor, and it was a time when the economy was very slow. And so he volunteered his time to oversee four of the projects. And the people, the congregation came together. Um, every here, Laborers for Christ, they came together. And, and we all worked together on the weekends. It's just amazing how everything came together. Not just what was needed for the, the contributions for the building, but all the people doing their part. And what's so amazing for me is, in the end, after everything was completed, this gentleman who had volunteered his time his company just exploded in a positive way. And over the next 10 years, um, he had more business than what he could handle, and he retired by the time he was like 55 years old, having made a lot of money, how God blessed him. And just, it's, you know, time and time again, I see how God works. And it's amazing in God's church how when people come together, so much can happen. And what's even more incredible is when more happens than what is humanly possible. Does that ever happen here? It does, doesn't it? You know, I've, I've had so many conversations with Pastor Mike and talking about the, the building projects you've been through. And, and this is a congregation right now that has, guess how much debt you guys have? None. <laughs> Zero debt. And you have a very incredible facility. You've got a lot of land for the future. And you're about to embark into another building project. One that you desperately, we all desperately need. For what? A fellowship hall. Okay? Like even right now, side there. Or a meeting place out there. Are you going to be hanging out very long out after the service? Probably not, because it's too what? Too cold. And for summertime, I'm sure for a good portion of the year here in Arizona, you're not going to be hanging out there very long because it's going to be too what? Too hot. But imagine, especially as social as this group of people are, we all are together, um, having a place where we can hang out and really have fellowship and grow in God's word even more. And I'm really excited about this next project. And I'm already convinced in my heart that I know what God's going to do. He's going to make it happen. And we're all going to come together, and it's all going to work out in incredible ways. And that's how God does his thing. And, and when it happens that way, you know that you are in his will. And I know that this church is in his will. And I've been here now for two months. And I've been kind of just watching and seeing and observing and learning. And I'm impressed. Okay? I'm impressed with the, the leadership of, of Pastor Mike and the staff and the leadership of uh, different people in this congregation. Um, I was talking a little bit ago with, with the president, um, Scott, and, and um, he's done a great job leading this last year. We now have a new president starting next year, Don, and how God provides leadership at the, the right time and the right places. And, and I know the future here is incredible. And also what I see here, too, is a real challenge. Okay? We are not on a busy street here, are we? And so what's it going to take? If we wait for people to come here, are they going to show up? What do we need to do? We need to go out there and get them. <laughs> We've got to go out there and connect with them and, 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 and love on them and just share God's love with them. And, just, and sometimes the best way to do that is just to be their friend, to walk alongside of them, to show Christ's love through our actions and being covenant people. 
And it's going to come back to those Ten Commandments again. That God gives us those commandments to show us what it looks like to be followers of, of Christ. I want to go ahead a little bit further. In chapter 36. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary, on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. Now, is that kind of a nice problem? <laughs> they were given so much, it's like, okay, you can stop now. Okay, this is, this is and sometimes God works in, in that amazing way. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had, had was sufficient to do all the work and more. You know, God's amazing grace is incredible. And what's so cool about this offering is they gave not because they had to, but because what? They wanted to. And we give to God out of the goodness of our hearts because we want to, because we love him. How does it make us feel? Does it make you feel great? To serve him with our time, our talent, our treasures? And something else, too, with this is we see a glimpse of how God has specially gifted each person to different things. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts. And so my question to you is, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Anybody here know what your spiritual gift is? Okay. And I want to encourage you to pray about that. There's even some online things you can do to kind of get an idea. We'll be doing more work with this in this coming year. But God has given every one of us special giftedness to do certain things. And with that, I want to jump into um, just a glimpse of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1 and following, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were, were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so first of all, the only way we can see that Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior is through what? The Holy Spirit, okay? It's totally God's work. Now, there are various gifts, but the same Spirit there are a variety of services, but the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but, the, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of spirit for the common good. So I want to stop there for a second. That God has specially gifted every one of us, not for ourselves, but for who? One another. We belong to each other. 
And one of my prayers for this, this new year is that we, as a congregation, even learn more about how God has equipped us. And I want to encourage you to start praying about that. God, show me my spiritual gift. Because when you work in the realm of your spiritual gift, it's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it through you. For a period of time, I had the gift of um, spiritual gift of evangelism. And it was for a period of time. It kind of came and it, and it went. And it was a time in my life when I was really struggling in my faith. And I was going to college, and I had a roommate from Kuwait um, who was, he was Muslim. And, you know, I tried numerous times to share my faith with him. And he said, you know, John, I can't become a Christian. If I become a Christian, my dad would kill me when I go back to Kuwait. You know, thanks for trying, but I just, I just can't do that. And I started thinking, it seems like it all comes down to where you're born. If you're born in a Christian family, most likely you're going to become what? A Christian. If you're born in a Muslim family, you're going to be Muslim. I'm kind of shaking my fist at God saying, this isn't fair. And then in a matter of like about two months, I met three complete strangers that I started talking to. And I didn't even know them. But I started telling them all about their lives. They said, how do you know that? I said, I don't. God knows it. And then the words just started flowing. Like when, you know, the Holy Spirit's working through you, it's like I'm speaking to them. And it's like these words are way better than I could possibly say. And I saw three different people in one meeting come to faith right in front of me. And when I thought about it, I'm thinking, what's going on here? And what the Lord was showing me is, you know what, John? Quit your griping and complaining about the way things are and get out there and do your job. Get out there and share with others. And what's really exciting is when you work in the realm of your spiritual gift, it just, it just flows. And you're doing things like, wow, I, this is way beyond what I could possibly do. Like, I gotta be honest with you, when I was growing up, I was the shyest kid in the world, okay? When I was in high school, I didn't even date, okay? I was too nervous to even ask someone out on a date. I went to Sadie Hawkins dance, three girls asked me in one day, and I thought that was a big joke. I thought it was, you know, this is, you know, and so I was the only date I went, I take it back, I did go on one date to ask a girl to go to a dance, and I got there and she took off on me. She went after some other guy. So that was the extent of my, my high school career. I was super shy. And if someone would have said, John, you'd be a pastor talking in front of people, I'd say, there's no way I'd do that. But the best sermons I preach, it's, I feel like I'm not even here. I feel it's like the Holy Spirit speaks through me. The, the ones that are bad, that's, that's me, okay? Um, but... You know, he works through us all in very incredible ways. And I know that it's, you know, I, I sense too in this body that it's just, it's percolating more and more. Um, you know, there's such an incredible core of leadership here. And I see a lot of you here right now. And what a blessing you are. And, and for each of us to be praying, it's coming here, okay, God, what is my place in this body called St. Mark? And what do you want me to do in even, even greater ways? And God was doing the same thing with these people back then. But we're not going to come to the very end of it and kind of bring it together. We're going to jump to chapter 40, verse 34. Chapter 40, verse 34. It's kind of an interesting ending. Before this, it's all the detail of the construction. Okay, so I, I don't think, you know, you probably would fall asleep if I tried to read every one of those words, but it's very detailed as far as what happens. And then in 34, chapter 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, so they build this tabernacle. They're generous. They do all these incredible things. They, they construct this amazing, amazing thing. It's, it's, a, it's a movable church, okay? And what's interesting now, they got it all set up, and Moses can't do what? He can't go in the tent of meeting. He's not allowed in. Why is that? What's going on here? You see, in the Old Testament, what we see is that we are incapable of coming to the presence of God ourselves. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we try to live by them, what do we do? Fall short. And we see this theme throughout Exodus. God keeps doing these amazing things and setting up this covenant over and over again, and the people keep doing what? They keep messing up. They keep going their own ways. And we see here that God so desperately wants us to follow his ways, to be obedient to him. How many of you are parents here? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, a lot of hands going up. Do you want your children to be obedient to you? How does it feel when your kids are obedient? Pretty amazing, huh? You don't want to force them to be obedient, but when they are obedient, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, isn't it? Okay? And it's still even our children are not perfect, okay? Even we as parents are not perfect. God is a heavenly father, and he wants us to be obedient. And we keep messing up. If we want to go to heaven ourselves, how many sins can we commit? Actually, one is too many. And so Moses, this incredible leader, is going to take the people and they're going to go on towards a promised land and they get there after quite a period of time and, in fact, even 40 years of marching around in the wilderness and Moses is not allowed to go in because of what? Remember what he did? He struck the rock in the water the wrong way, okay? One sin, okay? So it kind of kept him out, so to speak. And God lets him see the promised land, but think about the symbolism, okay? So Egypt symbolic of hell. The wilderness of sin that they're wandering through is symbolic of life. The promised land is symbolic of, of heaven. And the bottom line is we can't get to heaven ourselves, right? That Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing, that's symbolic of the entry point. Through baptism, we get in heaven. And so they, they come up, Moses comes up to the tent of many. He's not allowed in. But I want you to think about how things have changed. It's almost like if we were the Old Testament, we could come up to here, but we couldn't go any further, okay? I wouldn't be able to go up there and give you the sacraments or anything. I'd have to stay down here. But now it's all changed because God has acted. And within the Ark of the Covenant is stored what? What's in there? Okay? The Ten Commandments are in there, okay? Wherever the Ark Covenant is, it's hard to know exactly where it is, but that's what was placed in there. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was placed the mercy seat, covering over the Ten Commandments. And so that was in a Holy of Holies. And you think about it, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain of the temple for the Holy of Holies? What happened to that curtain? It ripped. Symbolic of what? 
We now have access to God through Jesus. I mean, in the Old Testament, you know, later on in Leviticus, they had the sacrificial systems all laid out. And once a year, one priest would go into the Holy of Holies to bring, you know, the blood of the, the atonement sacrifice. And they tied a rope around the guy. Because if he died in there, they're not going to go in there and get him. They don't want to die either. They're just going to pull him out, okay? That's how, you know, the presence of God is, is so holy. And that's one thing that's really hit me in this series once again is the holiness of God. Sometimes we lose track of how holy he is. But what he did in that very first Christmas is that Jesus came to this world. He came to us. Okay? And he came and, and you know, through that atonement cover, so to speak, he, he covers over our sin. And that curtain is ripped in two, torn in half from top to bottom. We now have access to God through Jesus. And so Jesus has come to us and he has welcomed us to, to God. Okay, he did the work. We didn't. Okay? You think of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, the gift of God, so that no one should boast. Okay? We're saved by what? Grace, not by works. However, what does verse 10 say? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God intended for us to do. And so good works are important, not for our salvation, but they're part of our what? Response. And that's how we should be living out the Ten Commandments, okay? To thank Jesus for what he's done for us. And so now we come to the moment of truth. What are the Ten Commandments, folks? What are they? Who can, anybody here brave enough to, you don't have to say it word for word. You can just kind of just even summarize, you know, what they are. Okay, That's, should we give Randy a chance to do this? All right, Randy, you're up. Okay, you can do it from there, yes. You can't look at anything, no. <laughs> All right, so God first. Right. What do you think? All right. Good job. Great job. Okay. You get the coveted small catechism. All right. Yep. There you go. So again, it all comes to a covenant of love. Okay. And what is the summary of all the commandments? To love God and love your neighbor. And so, as Rennie said, love God first. He's number one. Okay, and by the way, there's two different numbering systems. There's a Lutheran form, and there's also the, you know, some of the non-denominationals have a different way of numbering it. And so we have, you know, know the gods, you know, before him, God's number one. And then do not misuse his name, you know, to honor him what we say and do. To remember Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those three are about loving God. And then the fourth one is honor your father and mother. Um, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the last, we, we kind of combine nine and ten, there's two there. Um, the other numbering system puts one there and they add no graven images in the front end. Um, that's about coveting. And, and so the bottom line is, how should we live? 
And it's not, I think sometimes, as I mentioned last week, it's, you know, do not, don't do this and don't do that sometimes comes across harsh. But to think about it this way. My desire in my life because of what Jesus Christ has done for me is this. I want to put God number one, okay? He's number one above everything else. Nothing in my life is more important than him. I love God so much that and I want to respect him and what I say about him and how I live out my life. I love God so much that I want to worship him regularly every week and I'm going to take a day where I'm going to refocus and recalibrate my life to keep my focus even more on him. And again, he's pounding that one in Exodus. And I think it's one we're struggling with in our society today. We are so busy. We're running ourselves ragged. And God, the architect of us, who built us and made us the way we are, says, I want you to take one day and do what? Maybe shut off your phone. Okay? Shut down your computers. Don't, don't look at your email for one day. The world's not going to crash. Your computer might, but the world's not going to crash. I said earlier today in the sermon this morning that in our society today, the average American spends 11 hours every day looking at a screen. I say less time on screen, more time to look in people's eyes. I mean, sometimes I realize work and things like that, but there's way too much screen time going on. Okay? I love God so much, I want to love my neighbors, so I'm going to honor my parents. And, and even if they're in heaven and gone ahead of us, I want to honor them and how I live out my life. You know, I want to respect the lives of, of all people, no matter who they are, at all stages of life. I love God so much that, that I'm going to use sex in the context which he intended it. I love God so much that I'm going to respect people's property. I love God so much of my neighbor that, that I want to lift up my neighbor and speak the truth in all situations. And I love God so much of my neighbor that I am thankful for what I have. I'm not going to live my life always wanting more and more and more. Okay? If we can live our lives that way, what kind of covenant is that? That's a beautiful covenant. And I want to encourage us going into this new year that we maybe take some time, like, like Randy did, and do a little bit even more homework, make sure we get these things locked and loaded in our minds. I mentioned last week, if you, you look at people that come from the, a certain backgrounds in, in Judaism, they're, they're walking around, and sometimes they're the guys with the hats and the, and the curly long hair and beards, and they're, they're walking around, and their mouths are just kind of going real fast. Ever see that? Like in, what are they doing? They're meditating on the Word of God. And I think sometimes meditating is an art that we've lost. The, the, the Bible talks a lot about meditating. You know what meditating is? It comes from the, what cows do. It's kind of the, the word actually comes from, from, like cows have how many stomachs? Four, okay? There's just some people that aren't, yeah, four stomachs. Okay, so they take the grass or whatever into one stomach and they do what? They regurgitate into another one and regurgitate another one. I mean, it sounds kind of like a, you know, kind of a gross thing, but it's actually, the idea was we keep chewing on the word of God, keep bringing it up and, and thinking about it. And sometimes, you know, maybe rather than reading large sections, I mean, I want to encourage us to do that, but maybe as you're reading scripture, take one verse a day and just think about it. Meditate on it. And here's another challenge for this coming year. Okay? I want you to focus on the blessings. Because as human beings, we have this incredible tendency to focus on the negative, right? One thing is going wrong, 99 things are going great, and what do we do? We focus on that one thing. And I want to encourage us to learn to bounce off the bad 
and just focus on the blessing that God is continuously pouring into our lives. And so um, this brings us to the end of, of Exodus. And just um, any, I didn't see any questions up here, but as far as if you were, maybe if you're brave enough to do this, what are some of the best things you've learned from this book? Anybody in particular want to share your thing? What comes to mind? And with that, too, the, um, the, the, the incense place with representing prayer was right at the entrance to the Holy of Holies. That God loves to communicate with us. Okay? Anybody else? Okay, what's that? Right. God's way is the best way. Mm-hmm. Always. I see also a lot of how messed up we are as human beings. <laughs> and God is patient. And he never gives up on us. And the bottom line is, one day he's going to deliver us to where? The promised land. Not because we earn it, because he did it for us through Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this journey. We're on a journey through the wilderness of sin, through this life, and we're going to the promised land. And you, Lord Jesus, you want to lead us. Just like you led the people with the cloud and with the pillar of fire, be nice if we had those today, but we know your spirit is there to lead us. And Jesus, you have opened up heaven to us. And we pray now that we can be like a kingdom of priests to take your love to this world because you want us to be your ambassadors. So we ask you to bless us as we go into this new year. Help us to keep growing in your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Passover lamb, that we have life eternal. In your name we pray. Amen.